How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Well, like I said earlier, I know everybody is just anxious to hear what the third game is uh, in our Game On series. Man, I was getting texts and phone calls all week saying they can't wait. Not really. Um, but I tell you, I, I appreciate everybody uh, having fun with this, and, and we're excited to, oh yes, children, get on out. <laughs> Miss Rebecca's over there. Any children? Sounds like it's a wise move to send them out. But, uh, three weeks ago, we had a chance to do, uh, the fir- we kicked off the series, or two weeks ago, I guess, with um, the game of tag, and we talked about how uh, God is chasing us, and he is pursuing us, and desires a relationship with us, and, and uh, your life app that week was, does anybody remember? Tag, you're it. So tag, you're it. It was go out and do something about that now. Go out and pursue the things of Christ and, and point people to Jesus. And then Josh did a phenomenal job last week uh, talking about the, the game of Scrabble. And I'm glad he chose that. I did, I'm not much on Scrabble, uh, unless it's, uh, uh, I'm just not much on, on Scrabble. But he did a great job uh, pointing us to Scripture. And man, what a truth that, that instead of watching our mouth, I even told Ellie this weekend, hey, watch your mouth, because she kind of popped off. But I, I caught myself thinking, you know, it's an issue of the heart. So his life at this last week was watch your heart. And uh, this week, I'm, I'm looking forward. We got two brief points. We're going to be uh, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And this week, your game is Monopoly. Okay, the number one game in the world, Monopoly. How many of y'all guessed that's what we, we would do? A couple of y'all. Some of y'all were in the early service, so it doesn't count. Um, but man, let's just kind of get into to the game of Monopoly. Because everybody knows the game. You've probably played. Raise your hand if you've ever played Monopoly. Yeah, that's just what I thought. The number one game in, in not just the United States, but in the world. A few random facts. I was doing my research, and uh, for decades now, people have been passing, going, collecting $200. Don't you wish that was a truth? Like you just passed the week, and everybody just said, all right, here's $200 for you. Uh, but that, that's not how life goes. But it celebrates its 86th anniversary this year. Last year was Big 85. This year, 86 years it's been around. The longest game ever played lasted 70 straight days. What are you doing? 70 straight days? Man, the longest game played upside down, in case you're wondering, 36 hours. Somebody played the game 36 hours upside down. Not really for sure why. It's published in 47 languages and sold in over 115 countries. More than 1 billion people have played the Monopoly game worldwide. Games have been played in some unusual places, obviously upside down and on a ceiling, uh, underground in a bunker, and then on a U.S. nuclear submarine. They didn't have anything else to do, so they played Mon- Monopoly, some unique places. And then I, thought, I found this. Escape maps, compasses, and files were inserted into a Monopoly game, uh, into the boards, and smuggled into POW camps inside Germany during World War II. Real money for escapees was slipped into the packs of Monopoly money. I mean, that's just unbelievable, some of these facts that I found. Over 5.1 billion little green or red houses have been constructed since it was introduced in 1935. Uh, Josh told you how many Scrabble, pe- or Scrabble pieces were lost. There is no telling how many of these things are lost, uh, especially at my grandparents' house. But now, let's just kind of break down Monopoly. The, the concept of Monopoly is pretty close to what I would say is the concept of the American dream, okay? And so to break that down, it's to acquire property, gain riches, and absolutely crush and demolish whoever you're playing the game with. 
And if you're like me, um, I'm very competitive, whether it's Monopoly. I've never, I'm not big into Scrabble, like I said, but man, you put me up against somebody, I'm going to try my best. But I'm competitive, I enjoy the game. But at the end of the game, I think we can all agree that the result is the same. It all goes back into the box, right? So no matter how much you walk away with, if you won the game, no matter how big of a margin you won it by, at the end of Monopoly, it all gets packed up, most of it at least, and gets put back into the box. And I'd venture to say that some of us, uh, in particular myself, we tend to chase after success, and, and we get blinded to everything else. We tend to chase after the, the result of the game, and sometimes in life we tend to chase and pursue things and we're blinded by everything else. And I would say and challenge us as a church that we need to be reminded to focus on the things that will last. Focus on the things that will last. I was, uh, there's an author I read pretty frequently. His name's Francis Chan. He said this, our greatest fear should not be fear of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. See, I love the game of Monopoly, but I hate losing. But in the end, Monopoly doesn't really matter. In the end, having fun, now I will tell you, we have a lot of quality time growing up as kids, that matters, but the point of it is that in the end, we chase things that really don't matter. Sometimes in life, I find myself pursuing and chasing after things uh, that just don't matter. Maybe it's the newest phone, or it's the newest this, or it's easy for me to sit down, I'm a Rangers fan, any Rangers fans? It's real easy for me, not a lot of Rangers fans? Thank you, thank you. I won't even say the Astros or the Yankees, but it's easy for me to sit down and, and spend three hours and watch a game. I invest my time in, in watching the Rangers game. Not at work, please, okay? Uh, but I invest my time, and it's easy for me to do that. This morning, I'm not really sure where you're at. I had to find out where I was because as God was speaking through me to this, through this scripture, it was very evident that there are still things in my life that I, I pursue that in the end doesn't really matter. And here's the deal. When we look at scripture, Jesus completely does the opposite of what our flesh would tell us to do. We talked about our flesh in the unity, uh, part one and part two a few weeks ago, but we have a tendency uh, to, to give in to our flesh. And Jesus went against that. I would say Jesus went against the grain. My dad growing up would always tell me, son, be different, stand out. And I, didn't, I guess I'm just weird like that. And so I've always had that molded in me to be different, to go against the grain and don't do what's the easy way out. Never, never give, uh, give way for the easy way out. This morning, again, I'm not sure where you're at, but Jesus always did the opposite of what our flesh tells us to do. He went against the grain. The world was looking for this earthly king. You can see in scripture, they were looking for Uh, Even the disciples, they were looking for this king, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, and the Messiah that had been prophesied about. And and when they got Jesus, he's the one that came riding in on a donkey, if you will, and and not on this this white stallion. He always did things differently. Always did things differently. Instead of getting an earthly king, they got the king of kings. The world was looking for an earthly soldier, somebody who was big in stature and who was going to, man, take down the Roman Empire and, and just be their king, but instead they got the warrior who defeated death. He went against the grain, against all odds. The world was looking for a man of earthly power, but instead they got the one in which we now have our power through, the one who conquered death. Jesus reminds us over and over again that it's not about us. And you hear me say that a lot, but I have to, it's like branded on me when I wake up in the morning. My first instinct, to be honest with you, is 
What does Matt have today? Not Lord, what do you have? And so I have to constantly be reminded that it is not about me. It is all about Jesus and giving back our life to the one who gave us life. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, and to kind of set up this passage, I want to make sure you, you, you get caught up because there's been several chapters. Obviously, we're in chapter 10, but let me catch you up with that. At this point that we're going to be reading from, Jesus is well into his ministry, okay? He's, well, he's, got the, he's called the disciples. He's walked on water. He's fed the thousands. He's healed and done some crazy miracles. Um, and so the disciples have seen some pretty cool kingdom work. They were also beginning to struggle with some pride, all right, so leading up to Mark chapter 10, uh, you hear little comments like, well, who is the greatest among you? You hear the disciples start to kind of get this, this mindset in their head that, hey, you know, we're the 12. We can walk around, man. We're, we're close with Jesus. We've been seeing some cool things. He's using us, and man, nobody else is doing it. And so they kind of start getting a little prideful, letting it get to their head. Then you see right before this, you see Peter tells Jesus, uh, Jesus is explaining the rich young ruler a couple chapters before this in, in uh, chapter 7, I believe. And, and Peter's like, Jesus, we're not like the rich young ruler. Look what, we've, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus constantly is bringing the reality back like, hey, you're still missing it. You're still missing it. Okay, and then right before what we're about to read, Jesus just foretells his death for the third time. Okay, so he, he's done it three times where he has told the disciples, look, I'm going to be departing from you, all right? I'm going to be leaving you. And so for three times now, the disciples, it kind of starts clicking with them. Like, what do, you, what do you mean you're leaving us? Oh, you're going to go set up the kingdom. And so in the disciples' mind, again, they're like, oh, okay, well, he's setting up the kingdom for us. And so they start asking, you'll see in a second, well, can I sit at your right? And who's going to be at your left? And so they, they, they kind of get out of proportion. And Jesus has a tendency to say, hey, back down here, back down here. So we're going to pick up in verse 35, if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. If you would stand with me as we uh, read this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Pretty bold, bold proclamation there. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink and with baptism with which I am baptized and you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. Verse 41, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, you must be slave of all. Verse 45, catch this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, speak through me these next few moments. Uh, Lord, help us to, to be clear on your scripture and to just focus on what you have for us as we serve and invest within our heart. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so now that we're caught up to speed, Mark chapter 10, and we just read our passage, I want to kind of let you know a little bit. So James and John kind of kicked this off, and, and just so we're on the same page, Jesus always ministered to the thousands, all right? He ministered to the multitudes. He discipled 12, that's what we would call the 12 disciples. He invested in two, which were James and John, and he mentored one, which was Peter. And so you have this, this concept of this inner circle, if you will, this, these three disciples that are close to Jesus, James, John, and Peter. And so James and John start kind of getting this, this prideful, a little arrogant, uh, and they go to Jesus after all the things that have happened. Jesus has kept pointing them to a bigger picture, and they still aren't grasping it. They still aren't grasping it. And they were pretty sure that they'd receive some of this inheritance, okay? Anytime Jesus would refer to the kingdom, in their mind, this was an earthly kingdom. So you have to, I, I can't really fault them. You know, because in their mind, it's, well, this heavenly kingdom, I'm not really for sure, but I know Jesus, they're calling him the Messiah. He's our Lord of lords and King of kings. So in their mind, I can't really fault them because they're like, gosh, Jesus, you told us to follow you. We left everything and we felt followed you. And they're just, they're just waiting, but their heart is for an inheritance, one who would be at his right and one who would be at his left. They begin envisioning this sense of honor James and John did. But Jesus replies with an interesting concept, uh, like he always does, and puts them in the, uh, in the rest of the disciples in their place. He's really good at this. He replies with this. The cup that Jesus, if you look there in uh, verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, well, we are able. You just, you gotta put yourself in that. Well, Lord, we're able Jesus, we've been with you. We've seen everything. We're able to do this. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. So the cup and the baptism, what's Jesus referring to here? Well, Jesus simply says that the cup, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? So what is the cup? Bearing God's wrath in the place of you and me and of all mankind. So he's saying, look, James, John, I don't think you quite understand what I'm talking about when I say drink of this cup. It's not the Lord's Supper we're about to partake. It is simply the wrath of God that is going to be poured out on me. And he's trying to get them to get it. And then he goes on and explains, uh, if you look, actually, chapter 14, verse 35, he explains the cup once more. It says, and going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup he was referring to was God's wrath. And I don't know if the disciples quite grasped that. So he goes on and talks about the baptism. He was referring to in this passage was the suffering and the death that Jesus was about to, he was forecasting what was coming. He was forecasting what was coming. And he was also telling them that, look, the, the ways of you think that this kingdom's gonna be set up are, are backwards, man. If you wanna be first, you must be last. They're, the whole concept, you can look, Jesus is throughout the gospel, everything's backwards. If you wanna be first, you're last, man. It's just always backwards. To be great meant you were second. We see over and over in scripture, uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. 
And then we go on and see that Jesus says a, a verse that I'd encourage all of us to memorize. Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Wow, what a concept. I mean, we're talking about Jesus, all right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. We are talking about Jesus Christ here, and he says, even I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you, Matt. I came to serve you, disciples. Man, what a concept. And then he says, a ransom, to give his life a ransom for many. A price for redeeming or liberating slaves, captives, or life is what ransom means. To put that in perspective, Jesus describes his entire ministry as one of service and giving his life a ransom for many. Man, just a, a concept that we know John 3.16, and it's like we, we go throughout our life and we're like, yeah, I get that. We're to serve others. God's first. I'm second. But man, living your life like that is a whole different thing. I struggle. Living your life like that is a whole different thing. I venture to say he gave a supreme example to his disciples, which was himself. And, and they had seen him serve. They had seen him touch the unclean. They had seen him heal the multitudes. They had seen him feed the thousands. And before it was over, they would see Jesus, yes, their leader, even wash the grime from their feet. This is the Messiah, remember. You gotta just think and put yourself in those disciples' Shoes, man, what a concept. If we remember where Jesus came from, we can see how absurd this probably was to them. Jesus had 10,000 angels at his disposal, church. Jesus was three in one. God had three in one. He was the creator of everything that exists, existed. He was in eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, and he shared in their glory and their splendor, and yet he gave it all up. He gave it all up to be born in a stable to a poor teenage girl in order to draw people to his father. That's good stuff, amen? And that's God's word. And I was coming across, uh, before we get any further, I just wanna read this excerpt from a sermon that I found. It says this, this is not just another teacher with some rules about how to live, gathering some radical disciples to live out the way he lives and to stir up some type of a revolution. No, this is a man and more than a man telling his disciples that he has come into the world to serve them. He does not want them to serve him. He will not, or he will lay his life, so, lay down his life so that the lives can be ransomed from sin and death. This is unheard of. You need to feel how wild this is. No man ever spoke this way except maybe in a mental hospital. No respected religious leader ever, ever spoke this way. Either Jesus is above every ordinary teacher with some supernatural power and dignity, or he is a lunatic. Do you recall what Jesus said in John 15, verse 5? I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. You cannot drink my cup, you cannot endure the baptism that's about to occur, and you cannot serve each other. You cannot become the slave of all. To do any of this, you must abide in me and I in you. Man, just to sum, sum this up, that, that Jesus came, didn't have to. God sent his son, Jesus, to this planet, to this world, to this earth, to walk the same earth that we're living, to be tempted with the exact same things that we're tempted with. Lived a perfect life, and we were talking about our creator here who flipped everything upside down, went against the grain, and yet he tells his disciples, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If anybody in the history of the universe 
should not say that, it's not him. Jesus had every right and, and thousands of angels at his disposal. He had every right to say, you know what? You guys are pointless. You don't get this. You're not getting this. But you know what he did? He said, look, even I did not come to be served, but I'm here to serve you and to give my life a ransom for many. So there's two quick things I want us to understand through this passage of scripture. Now that we're all caught up, we, we understand the context. Uh, Josh, um, last week his, his life app again was watch your heart. Okay, this week it has to do with the heart. I want you to understand what it means to invest from your heart. So if you're taking notes, real quick, first thing is invest from your heart. There's three areas of our lives that we can give back as a servant of Jesus. He talks about these all throughout scripture and those three things are very easy. It's your time, it's your money, and it's your passions or your desires of your heart. Invest from your heart. And when I'm talking about this, understand this. I'm not saying invest as if you would into the stock market. I'm saying be intentional with your time, with your money, and your passions and give back to God what's already his. I'm not up here pleading with you and say, well, if you do this, God will do this. Man, that's between you and the Lord and, and that is how he chooses to do. I'm here to say invest with your heart what you have. Um, everything comes from the heart. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Over 850 times in this Bible, in the word of God, does God address the issues of the heart. It's important. It is important, and when you learn to invest from your heart, the, your time, your money, and your passions, God does awesome things. It's called kingdom work, amen? It's called, it is called kingdom work to further his kingdom. So today I want us to examine our hearts, remind ourselves that life isn't like the game of Monopoly, okay? It's not like the game of Monopoly. You don't just put your life, shut it up in a box at the end of the day and say, well, that was yesterday. No, you, you invest, you be intentional. I believe this church is full of faithful servants, faithful moms and dads who have raised their kids and grandkids, faithful businessmen and women, faithful church members. And that's what it's all about, giving back to the Lord what is his. So three things, our time. Time is the most valuable thing that you have, right? Wouldn't you all agree? You can't make more time. You can always go out and make more money. You can go out and find more hobbies, play more golf, do this, watch more rangers. You can never give back or you can never make any more time. When I think about time and my season that I'm in right now, time is a big deal for me. I have these things I'll put up here. Y'all probably wondering what in the world is this jar of marbles, but I've got two different jars I'm gonna explain here in a second. But time is valuable to me right now because I have a little girl who just started kindergarten. And this week was a tough week for me, okay? Uh, well, it was a tough week for Cody. Uh, but it was a tough week for me too. I, the whole time, and I was telling Missy this earlier before the service or somebody, the whole time I'm, I, I'm, I'm gearing up for this and I'm like, you know, it's not gonna be bad. This is, this, she's gonna go to kindergarten. It's part of life. And Cody's like, I just don't, I can't believe it. And she's crying. Of course, I'm thinking pregnancy hormones. And then Sunday night hits the night before school and I'm just praying just like we normally do. And I'm just sitting there praying and I lost it, man. You know why I lost it? Because I realized Time is of the essence. Time is valuable. I hated when Cody and I first got pregnant and first had Ellie, it was like people constantly coming up saying, hey, don't blink an eye, it's gonna happen fast. And I wanted to just say, yes, shut up, I get it. I really did, Cody and I were like, we were, ah, I can't stand when people say that. But you know what? 
Time is of the essence. You blink an eye and it's, it's here, man. It is here. And I'm telling you, this was a tough week. But I have these two, these two jars right here and I want to kind of make sure uh, I, I'm a visual guy. I need to see this. So I, this jar right here, okay, this jar, they say on average there's 930, where are we at? 936 marbles or weeks that you have from the time your child is born till the time that they leave college or for college. 936 weeks. So I have 936 marbles right here. This is when Ellie was born, 936 marbles. All right, so I, I was getting this stuff situated, and to be honest, I have never done this, um, and I don't think I'm going to continue to do it. It's really sad. Um, <laughs> but man, so Ellie has already been alive for 288 weeks, okay? So she has 648 weeks left. That's a big difference. I don't know if you can see this over here, but this is compared, there, there's a third is just about gone, okay? A third of her time at home, her precious time at home is almost gone. And that just really spoke to me because I can't get that time back. And it, it was a reminder of how valuable time is. And man, we need to, as parents, invest in our kiddos. And in church, we need to invest in this next generation and understand that time is valuable and it is so important. And how you invest your time matters. Teach, up your, teach and raise your children in the word. Be a disciple for them. Bosses, invest in your employees. Understand they're not there by accident. Church, invest in the ministries of this church that we have. Help out, volunteer. Because if you're not, I can't promise you that somebody else is. I can't. We're busy, I know. We are all busy. But invest from the heart. And the next one, so you have your time. The next one's always a sticky, sticky one, money. If you look underneath your pews, I put uh, do not leave church until you pay 10%. Uh, I'm just joking. Monopoly, you know, you land on the utilities and it, you have to pay a percentage. I'm not here to, this is between you and the Lord. The scripture is very clear and evident of tithing. Okay, I'm not here to, to plead with you. We, Sean hardly ever had a, uh, an obligation, if you will, to stand before the church and say, man, we really need y'all to give. You guys are gracious. You give and you, you give when, when we need things and we really appreciate that. But I will tell you, how you invest your money should come from the heart. And again, this is not, not asking you to, to do anything or pleading with you on this, but it's an issue of the heart. This morning, I want, I want to come at giving of your finances from a, a different perspective, okay? Uh, again, this isn't a, a guilty plea. A scripture is, is uh, very clear and evident. But we do this thing called We Are the Sermon coming up in October. It's our second time to do this. Last year, we kind of caught a little, a little slack for this. And, uh, but I will tell you, you have a church staff that is dedicated to reaching the needs of this community as best as we can because we believe you, we make up the church. Amen? That we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so coming up in October, we shut down the Sunday morning and we do what's called We Are the Sermon. We go out into our community and we help and we invest and give back to people who are in need. We'll help them build a fence. We'll do this. We'll mow, whatever that looks like. But I just want you guys to understand that, that as you give and as the Lord feels or, or directs you to give, understand that it goes, I mean, we have sent over, in the last five years, six years, we have sent over 15, I believe, groups to Peru. Uh, man, we do a lot to further his kingdom. And we could probably do a lot more. We probably can do a lot more investing. And so uh, when you're talking about finances, this is not invest in the stock market to get something back. This is saying, God, it's yours already, and I'm gonna give back. And your last one here, 
So how can you be intentional with your time, with your money? Your last one is your passion. What do you enjoy doing? What, when you get up in the morning, what do you enjoy doing? I mean, what, what gets you up in the morning? Maybe it's a, a nagging kid. I don't know. But what gets you up? What drives and motivates you? Chances are that's not an accident. Chances are God wired you to say, man, you know what? I'm going to be the best mechanic I can be. Man, I'm going to be the best home builder I can be. You enjoy doing that stuff, and that's not an accident. Folks, you make up the church. Y'all are the hands and feet, and everybody plays a vital role in that. And praise God that we are all different. And not everybody's like, Josh, I mean, praise God. Uh, Sorry, that was a cheap shot, man. Uh, Praise God that we all have our different niches, and, and God uses us to further his kingdom. Be intentional with your passions. Invest your passion for kingdom work. Uh, I had a group of ladies come to me uh, about a month ago, and we'll be kicking this off here uh, in the next month or so, but they came to me, and, and their husbands are, are mechanics, and they work at uh, t- you know, dealerships and that kind of stuff, and one of the things they were like, man, we just feel like we can be doing more. And one of the things that they brought to me, this was not a light bulb went off and, oh, we need to create more. We do a lot of stuff, okay? But this is, this is what they said. They said, you know what? Our husbands feel like they, uh, maybe one Saturday morning, that maybe we can set up an oil changing station and help out some of our senior adults and just free oil changes, okay? So that, that may be coming up. But the point of that is, is to not highlight several guys, several young men. The point of that is to say, use your God-given talents to further his kingdom, to be a blessing. If you sing, sing. If you play the guitar, play. Man, invest in your passions. Your life app this week, as I close, your life app this week is real simple. It's very unique. Um, and you're going to think, what in the world is to be a trader? To be a trader. So your life app this week, I want you to understand what it means to be a trader. And I'm not asking you to trade in your 4x4 vehicle for a a go green electric smart car. I'm not asking you to to trade in uh, rooting for the Rangers and start cheering for the Yankees. I'd never do that. I'm not asking you to trade on your favorite anything. What I'm asking you to do is to say, you know what? It's all God's anyways. I want to trade this in. And God, however you want to see fit, you you, you use me however you see fit. Uh, Josh, if you play that video and then we'll, uh, we'll wind down. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traders? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise.
A traitor must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A traitor sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a traitor must act swiftly, because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traitors who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused, so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. What does it mean to be a traitor? Man, I want you to, to, to soak that in, to pray about this week. What does that mean to trade in your time, your, your passions, and, and your money? What does that mean? Don't get bogged down with the, the how, okay? Sometimes we are like, I just don't know what that means. It doesn't matter because you know the why. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We get bogged down with the, well, I gotta do this, and man, I, before I can really be uh, equipped, I really need to maybe go get my master's in, in this, and man, I'm just not, no, 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 no. Backwards, Jesus did things backwards. He takes you where you are, and he says, go. Go and make disciples. Be a traitor this week. A pastor I, I, I read and listen to frequently says this, our calling is not simply to change the world, but perhaps as important, our calling is to be changed ourselves. Because I fear that we're asking God to move mountains and forgetting that God also wants to move us. And in fact, it may be possible that we are the mountains that need to be moved. Don't get bogged down with the house. You know the why, and that is the most important thing. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Church, you are his workmanship, created for Christ and good works. In closing, understand this. Understand that we are to serve and invest from our heart. We've got tons of holes, if you will, am amongst our church. We do a lot of things. We do a lot of different ministries. I mean, if God is as put something on your heart, step up to the plate and let's go. It's time to serve. You're never gonna be ready. I remember uh, people would always tell Cody and I, uh, we would say, well, we're just, we want to make sure we have enough money in the bank before we have kids. Let me tell you something. The, the words of wisdom is true. You're never going to have enough money to have kids. You're never going to have enough money to, to you're never going to be ready enough to have kids. I'm not telling you to go out and have a bunch of kids. I'm telling you to understand that you're never going to be ready enough. That's, that's the work of the Lord. You're his workmanship created for good works that were prepared beforehand. And so that's my challenge this, this morning. Game of Monopoly, it's fun, but at the end of the game, it goes back in the box. I don't wanna look up when I'm 80 years old and say, man, what have I done with my life? I, I, I invested selfishly. Invest from your heart this week. Be a trader and understand what that means. And uh, just a, a note, when I played Monopoly growing up, I would play against my brother at my grandparents' house, and when I was young, I always invested in Park Place and Boardwalk. Why? Because that was the one that you could almost bankrupt people on. And my brother was four years older than me, and he's been playing for four years more than I have, and so I would always roll. All right, come on, I need the Boardwalk. And I'd always spend my time, my money, my effort on trying to get to Boardwalk. 
Sometimes, this is against the rules, he would land on it, buy it, and then sell it to me for double because he knew I would do that. But, the, you know, the concept of that is, is there's Baltic, and, and then there's the, the utilities, and then the reading railroads, and then you go to the Reds, and you have Indiana Avenue, Avenue and then you have Marvin Gardens. He would just buy these up, and here I am go, wasting my time the whole game, and I just thought, this guy's cheating. But no, I was, I was investing in, in selfish things. Well, Boardwalk and Park Place. Hey, figure out where you're investing this week. Understand to what it means to be a trader. And let God, let God use you this week. God, at the Walmart line, use me. At the gas pump, use me. Here I am, Lord, you can use me.